Father God, thank you again so much for this amazing community. Thank you, Lord, that tonight you have brought us together to build church and to be church with one another. Jesus, I ask right now that you would take um, your word and make it alive and fresh in our lives, that we might continue to um, get to know you more and to, um, to get to know ourselves more and to get to know our community and our mission more. We ask it all in your holy name. Amen. All right, we're in Exodus, and we are going to be reading passage today from Exodus chapter 5, verse 22, through Exodus 6, verse 12. Moses returned to the Lord and said, Why, Lord, why, have you brought trouble on this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble on this people, and you have not rescued your people at all. And then the Lord said to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. And God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But my name, the Lord, I did not make myself fully known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, where they resided as foreigners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore... Say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment, and I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand, to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. Moses reported this to the Israelites, but they did not listen to him because of their discouragement and harsh work. And then the Lord said to Moses, Go tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the Israelites go out of his country. But Moses said to the Lord, If the Israelites will not listen to me, why would Pharaoh listen to me since I speak with faltering lips? It's the end of our reading. The title of our message this evening is Free, Deliver, Redeem, Take. And as we get into this message theme, Free, Deliver, Redeem, Take, and try to sort of unpack this passage and conversation that God is having with Moses, which I think is incredibly powerful and exciting and informative for who we are as a people today and the promises that God makes to us today, let's just grab a little bit of context. Uh, For those of you who weren't with us last week, Kevin preached a message called, It Always Gets Worse Before It Gets Better. And you'll notice that Moses is complaining exactly that to God, right? He says to the Lord, why, Lord, why? Why, Lord, why? I mean, you can hear the anguish in his voice. You can hear the complaint. Why? Why, Lord, why? In Hebrew, lama, Adonai, lama. Why have you brought trouble on those people? Is this why you sent me? To be trouble? Like, I'm, not, I'm supposed to be Moses. I'm supposed to be deliver. I'm supposed to be sent to bring trouble. And ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble on this people. And here's this wonderful kicker. You have not rescued your people at all. This is his complaint. It's a reasonable complaint. If you'll remember last week, Kevin talked about how the moment Moses goes to talk to Pharaoh, Pharaoh's like, hey, you got so much time to sit around and think about how things are hard for you? Great. Then I've got time 
for you to not collect, not be provided any straw, and you're just going to have to continue to make the same number of bricks. And it got worse before it gets better. In fact, it's very, very bad right now. So this is the reminder. It's going to be worse before it gets better. And by the way, God tells Moses this back at the burning bush episode. He's like, by the way, Pharaoh's heart's hard, and I'm going to harden it. So it's going to get worse before it gets better. So this is this nice reminder, but Moses apparently still, of course, needs to complain. And it's that wonderful thing that you have to remember, it's always darkest before the dawn. And not only that, not only is it always, that's the moment of its absolute darkness, right? The sun has gone down some long time ago, and we are waiting, we've waited through the whole of the night, and it is still deeply now, deeply dark, the darkest that it's going to be before that sun comes back out. Not only that, it's coldest that it's ever been before the dawn. I don't know if you can tell, I'm freezing, and I'm on top of a very high mountain with a dear friend, and it was so cold, I was wearing several layers, thermal layers, hat, like six scarves, I pretty much couldn't move my neck, and, you know, gloves, and I think I had heat warm, I mean, everything, and we're up there to watch this sunrise, and why are we bundled so? Because it is the coldest before the dawn. The sun, even as you start to see it coming up, you're not getting any of its rays yet, so you can start to see the sun peeking over, but it's still very cold, and in fact, the irony here is I was in a very warm place. This was Maui, and my friend says to me, hey, when we go to Maui together a couple years ago, let's bring snow clothes so we can watch the sunrise on top of the volcano. And so I packed snow clothes and a sleeping bag to Maui, even though this was what most of my days looked like. Very nice on the beach. It's always darkest and coldest before the dawn. If you'll remember, Moses is how old when God starts to deliver him out and protects him from his mother's womb, saves him and rescues him and puts him into Pharaoh's household? He's a young baby, right? So we know at the very beginning of Exodus, God has sent a deliverer. But how old is he now as he's come back to Israel, come back to Egypt, come back to the people of Israel, and going before Pharaoh? How old is he? Anybody remember? 80. That's a long, dark time to wait for the sun to rise. That's two generations, at least, that have died in slavery, and the deliverer, hear me now, has been born and is walking on the face of the earth, but we're going to have to wait 80 years for him to start his work. And it reminds me of that quote from MLK, right? The arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. We understand that though we might be the ones that die in the darkest, coldest moment, we believe in a God whose moral arc and the arc of justice is moving towards a dawn. But that requires hope. And it requires a relationship with the creator of the universe. It requires knowledge of his character in order to start to say, it's dark, it's cold, I'm the coldest I've ever been. I see no sun in the distance, but I'm going to trust and believe that someday that sun will rise. And even as I begin to apprehend the rise of that sun, I still am not yet feeling the heat of its rays. I'm still cold, but I can see that it's coming. And it might take 80 years. It might take 400 years. It might take 2,000 years. It might take 10,000 years. But the belief that we have as followers of God is that God is on the move and that he is 
going to do something. But the great news we have from Moses is that while we're waiting, and notice that Moses didn't have to wait those 80 years, right? He's now been given the command, and now he's going, and he immediately starts to complain. So the good news is the Bible gives permission for your complaint. You are absolutely allowed to go and stand before God, the creator of the universe, and go, why? Lama Adonai, Lama. Why, Lord, why? Why, 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 why? Why are there 27 million slaves today in the world? Why? And we are absolutely permitted, no, we are encouraged by our text to go stand before God and shout and cry, why? And then God says this, now you're going to see what I'm going to do. Because of my mighty hand, he's going to let them go. Because of my mighty hand, my outstretched arm, he will drive them out of his country. Now God's going to start to work. And it kind of reminds me of this picture. Can my arms sit here? Thanks. You see this guy? I mean, poor little man next to him, right? Like just this dude. He's watching the other person document this moment on a train, obviously, and thinking, can't you rescue me, right? Like, why, Lord, why am I stuck between this man? But I think, when I think of God's mighty, outstretched arms, I think of something much bigger than this. Something that is reaching out beyond and extending into the household of Pharaoh itself, and God is going to redeem and rescue his people with that mighty, outstretched arm. Now, God also says to Moses, as Moses is complaining about this, he says, I've heard them. I hear it, Moses. I hear the groaning. I hear the pain and suffering. I understand that they're enslaved, and I have remembered my covenant. And you guys remember from a couple weeks ago when I preached that the word remember in Hebrew is to think upon and act. It's not that God's just going, oh yeah, shoot, oh that's right, I had a covenant with those people, should get on that, right? It's that God is now going to take action. And so when we are complaining to God, we often feel like he's missed a memo and we're the only ones that can bring this to him, right? But because of that long arc of history, sometimes we have to stand there, we give a great, wonderful place for a complaint, and then God responds with, I know. Which almost is a less satisfying answer than, oh, I had no idea, right? Because if you could go to God and go, did you not know? And he's like, oh, shoot, I totally forgot. I have a few. All right, let's get on this thing. But instead, God's like, no, I know. I hear the groaning. I see the injustice. I see the enslavement. I'm on it. I've remembered. And that needs to be enough somehow for Moses. Moses goes back and he reports this conversation that he's had with God to Israel. And Israel doesn't say, wow, that's wonderful information, thanks so much. Instead, they don't listen to him. And your English will translate it as because they were discouraged and they had harsh labor. But the Hebrew here is a little bit richer than that, so let's look at it for a minute. It's literally because they had a short wind, a short breath, a shortened spirit, a lack of of spirit, a lack of breath. And this word in the Bible for breath is the same word for spirit, ruach. It can mean wind, it can mean spirit, it means breath, sides, windy, blast, air, they made life bitter. Primarily, ruach means wind or breath or spirit. 
So when you hear in the Hebrew scriptures the Holy Spirit, it literally is holy wind, ruach. You could say it with me, ruach. And I just want to ask ourselves the question, if we haven't also been in that spot where somebody, maybe a well-meaning preacher on a Sunday evening, stands before us and says, hey, look, I've talked to God. He says he's aware of your suffering. He's aware of the groaning. He'll remember. Don't worry. He's got a mighty arm. And I come and I tell you this information, or somebody comes and tells me this information, and I think, I can't believe you because I have a shortness of spirit. I have a lack. There's something in me that's not here right now. I, the wind has been literally knocked out of me. Anyone have that happened on a soccer field, right? Holy cow, scariest moments of my life were when you couldn't breathe. Anyone, right? And you're sitting there going, there's something in your head going, I think I'm fine. I just took this major ball to the chest or I fell off the bars or whatever it was I did when I was a kid. But there's this, I can't breathe. And in that moment, it doesn't matter what somebody's telling you. You can't breathe. You have literally a shortness of wind, a shortness of breath. And the Israelites are like, I cannot believe you. I have a shortness, a lack of ruach. It has been beaten and crushed in me. It's been beaten and knocked out of me. Literally, the, Isra- the Egyptians have literally knocked the wind, knocked the spirit out of me. And as even today, we understand persons who have been victims of trafficking, victims of slavery, victims of horrible work conditions, we see in them often that the first things their perpetrators and their oppressors did was crush their spirit. The first thing that that person set out to do was to destroy them, to knock the ruach, the breath of God, out of that person so that they just walk around glazed without any hope and without the capacity to believe. And I am thankful that God allows this to be part of our Exodus story. That initially Israel had said, wow, Moses, Aaron, sounds good, great, okay, go talk to Pharaoh. Hey, by the way, you made it a thousand times worse, so you should stop talking. I don't care what you talked about with God. Very nice, you keep having these conversations. I think Moses might have had something out at that bush, right? And so, a different kind of weed. Like, they're not really sure what's happened to Moses. And they're sitting there and they're saying, we can't believe you anymore. Because the Ruach... The wind, the spirit has been taken out of us. We are not just, is that so much better, by the way, than discouraged? I'm a little discouraged about my slavery. The Hebrew is, I have a shortness, a small wind. A shortness, a lack of wind, of spirit, of breath. And I can't believe you. And then God says this, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out, and I will free you, and I will redeem you, and I will take you. And this fourfold promise is insane. And we're just going to unpack it for a few minutes. Uh, we got just like five more minutes because we're going to go and celebrate this promise in our, in our Passover Interfaith Seder. And if you didn't sign up for that one, come to the Good Friday one because we'll celebrate it again there. But this, now, these four promises have taken place 
in our Passover meal as the four cups of wine. And we're going to talk about why there's four cups. The rabbi sat down and said, see, there's four promises, four cups of rejoicing. And let's look at what these are. I will bring you out, I will free you, I will redeem you, and I will take you. And after God says these things, he says, that way you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the Egyptians, out of the yoke, out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. This incredible phrase. So let's look at it for a few moments. When God says to his people, I will bring you out. He uses this word that is also used in Genesis chapter 1 and actually throughout the whole rest of the Bible that I will bring forth. The earth brought forth seed from the ground. The earth brought forth vegetation from the ground. When we say the blessing over the bread, blessed are you, Lord our God, king of everything, for bringing forth bread from the earth. It is this idea that something is being birthed out of the earth and being brought out. Now, if God's people are good food for all of us. If God's people will be light, if as we talk about the person of Jesus, he says, I am the bread of the world, then we are talking about a bread that's going to be brought out of the earth and it's going to be good for all. So when God first says, I will bring you out, God says, I will grab you and I will take you out of that land and I will make you good for something else. It'll be something that produces. It'll be something that is good and that is beautiful. When God then says, I will free you, the words there for free, it is like being set free from a prison. The thing that God is doing for those Israelites as they are enslaved in Egypt is they are stuck there, but as God brings them out, what happens to them? They're still in that slave mentality. And it's not just about being brought out from Egypt, but it's going to be being freed from that mindset that they are slaves. And God is going to start the work of freeing his people. I will bring you, I will free you, and I will redeem you. Now this part is insane and amazing. Because the word here for redeem is that kinsman redeemer. Do you remember the story of Ruth, right? It's the person in your family that is supposed to go to to buy, to rescue, to redeem, to bring out of slavery, to pay that price. And as God sets it up, he is saying, I'm the one who's in relationship with you. I'm the one who's your kinsman. I'm your father. Israel is my firstborn son, he says to Pharaoh. And I will redeem you. I'm your redeemer. Three amazing promises and one with deep intimacy. And then that leads us all to this last one. And I will take you. And the word there for take is most often used in our text for marriage. And I will take you to be my wife and I will take you to be my husband. So when God says to Israel, I'm not just going in to get you. I'm going to bring you out, and then I'm going to free you in that process. You're going to be released and set free, and I'm going to pay the price, and I'm going to be the intimate one, and I'm going to be the kinsman redeemer in your life, and then guess what? I am betrothing myself to you. We are now one. I will take you to be my people. 
and it's marriage language right there. This amazing, beautiful relationship that God starts to make these promises. He pushes through in beautiful ways. And by the way, preview for the Good Friday service. Most scholars believe that fourth cup of the Passover Last Supper meal, I will take you, is the one Jesus does with his disciples. Take this cup. It's the new covenant of my blood. And all of a sudden, your communion and mine should become about a betrothal. And every time we take the cup, we're saying, I do. These four promises that God makes to his people, these are the promises that are supposed to change the mindset of all of Israel. These are the four promises that are supposed to step on in and say, ah, now, now maybe I can believe. Now maybe I can do something about this. Now afterwards, of course, it doesn't get better right away. But God does say that after these four things happen, and they will, he will take them, by the way, when they get to Mount Sinai, and what are the wedding rings? The tablets. We'll get there. God says this, Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. Then you will know. And the word there for, for know is the same word when it says, And Adam knew his wife. It's the you know it in your knower. You know the things that you just know in your knower? There's a, a nun that used to call God, he, she would say, God the, is the God of the belly button. Like it's, it's this, this meaning that it's this deep down seated feeling here where she now knows that she knows that she knows. Now, oftentimes at Spark, we like to get super geeky and super creative, and we like to show you the Hebrew, and we like to talk about all the different contexts of the different words and throw the Hebrew up on the screen and, and act like we all know what we're talking about. But the truth is that there are certain things that Israel and all of us can simply not know until we experience them. And they don't know God, and they can't know God until God does this. And many of us, in our faith journeys, and I get, to I get the privilege of speaking to a lot of you in this room, and we get to have these deep conversations, and over and over again, I'm impressed with the fact that so many of us are on this Jesus journey, and we needed a soft place to land here at Spark. We could ask a few questions. Or we could say, I am not sure, or I can't believe because the wind has been knocked out of me. Or, I desperately want to believe, but I need somebody to help me overcome my unbelief. Or, I'm not sure I want to believe anymore, but I need to still be in community while I ask these questions. And as all of us are wrestling those things through, as we're dealing with the fact that we've been hurt, that maybe we were enslaved and stuck in bad theology or bad relationships or difficult situations or difficult church relationships. And as we all come here and we kind of start to just go, is this a safe place? And can I be here? And oh, that's an interesting bit of Hebrew. I guess I can start to study here. I just want to say, as your pastor and as your friend, there are things you won't know until you experience them. And there's no amount of preaching and interesting Hebrew and word studies that I can give you that will convince you or the Israelites that God wants you. That God still takes you. That God still reaches out and chooses you. 
while you complain, while you can't believe, while you tell him why, 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 while you say, I don't even know if you're there, God still chooses us. He still takes us. He says these promises to Israel before they have the Torah. They don't have the possibility of pleasing him with their good lives. They don't know what the rules are yet. God still brings, frees, redeems, and takes us. So if you're in that space where you're not sure if the God of your childhood or the God of your inner varsity years or the God of two years ago still exists, I want you tonight to sit down and to start thinking about your story. I want you on your own tonight to sit down and say, when did God bring me out? When, and when did he free me? And what did he free me from? When did he redeem me? And am I aware of the fact that he has already chosen me and taken me as his own? And my belief, truly and honestly, is at least from my own personal experience, is that those moments where I'm like, gee, I don't know, and well, that's a convincing atheist argument, and oh, okay, well, sure, you know, I don't know, did Jesus have a wife? Because it's PBS time, and it's Easter, so they're going to air that special. And as you wrestle with all of those crazy questions, and good wrestlings, God can handle all of our wrestlings, he can handle our questions, he can handle our why, Lord, why. As I wrestle with those things, I'll tell you what takes me right back into his arms is thinking about my story. And the moment I start to go, when did God bring me out? I'm like, oh man, I was a mess. And I start to look back, and it's in those moments when I think about the bringing and all that I've been freed from and all that I've been redeemed for and all the ways in which he has taken and chosen me. It's in those moments that I know. And I know that I know that I know. That there is a God who loves us and has chosen us. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, I pray now for our community, Lord. For those of us for whom the wind has been knocked out of us, the spirit has been knocked out of us. The ways in which we are struggling, the questions and the complaints that we have. God, would you please, Lord, please... Bring us out, free us, redeem us, and take us. Deliver us, Lord. Bring us out of the earth. Set us free, God. Redeem us for your purposes. Start to set us loose in this world and take us to be your own. And then, Lord, would you just put into our spirit the knowledge that we know, that we know, that we know that you love us and that you have rescued and redeemed us. May all of us today, as we think through our stories and the story of the Exodus, respond back to you. I do. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.